0: will
1: be a on the kickoff, but the play is not reviewable.
0: Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode number seventy-one, Death and Taxes Only. My name's Matthew Turner. I'm joined by my co-host Anthony Fitzpatrick and recurring special guest Tom Wilkinson. How you doing boys?
1: Uh, still tired from watching the entire game the other day, but, you know, getting there and getting there.
2: Yeah, feeling much fresher for watching it in the morning. That was a serious shift then.
0: <laughs> yeah, your your tweeting skills were excellent. I woke up to like 100 notifications and it's like, Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> well, you know, someone's got to rep the Twitter while the game's going on, so it's a sacrifice I'll quite gladly take. Rather
0: you than me, man. But, uh, you know, the, the end of the game was at least the better bit of it.
1: Yeah. To be fair, yeah, it was. It first three quarters were nothing to write home about, but the fourth was wonderful. <laughs> Worth made it staying up till about half three in the morning to do so.
0: <laughs> All right, we're going to go through the news in Lions football. Then we're going to have a look back at that game, Lions at Steelers on Saturday night. Saturday night. Uh, then we're going to have a quick look ahead to who might be on their way out in the cut down to 80 tomorrow. So that's 9pm UK time, 4pm Eastern, that cut time deadline coming. If uh, if the lines follow suit from last week, it looks like those cuts will probably be revealed after that time. It took a, a couple of hours to be revealed. So have a look out at maybe 6 o'clock Eastern tomorrow for that but let's hit the news first and just after we broadcast last week it was revealed that uh undrafted free agent cornerback and cut e alex brown was charged in the accident are uh, uh the injured tight end charlie tau palme tau uh who was also waived with an nfi designation and boys we knew that he was cut while we were while we were talking but why didn't come out and I mean, I think you've got to question both of them, right? I mean, what Alex did was awful and he thought he was back home coming from a strip club or something, I don't know. And, and Charlie T, like, you're, you're in the mix in a really weak, tight end room. What are you doing? Like, uh, I know sometimes that intelligence is, or, or just even smart, is maybe not the thing that all football players are credited with on average compared to the average human being, but it must have crossed your minds that when you're on the roster bubble, don't be stupid. Like on a basic level, what the fuck are you doing? And am I wrong?
1: No. No. I don't know why you'd spend years and years trying to, you know, bust it, push your ass to get all the way up to the NFL and then just let it all slip away on the uh... Such a stupid and avoidable mistake, really. But, you know, at least it's it's happened early. It's been dealt with. They're gone. They're not coming back. The team doesn't have to worry about having individuals like that on it now, hopefully. So, yeah, just an unfortunate situation all around. And hopefully, you know, Titan makes a recovery from uh, his injuries. But, yeah, it's so, an no, ugly episode. Best left in the past. What about you, Tom? Any, any disagreement?
2: I think with... With Charlie, especially, I mean, it was, what, one or two days before when uh, Dan Campbell was calling him out specifically and saying what a fan he was. I mean, so you've got your head coach going to bat for you, uh, a tight end three position that is wide open. And like I say, I mean, it's really easy to sit here and say they shouldn't have done it. I don't see how anyone can make the case for it. Um, It's just, yeah, it's it's disappointing. It also, I don't think, like, bigger picture... One of these events is fine, but you've seen how easily the media wants to go and have a go at Dan Campbell and old school and let's go hit everything, etc. So I'm just conscious that again, one of these is fine. If you get a couple of these events, I think then people will start asking questions suddenly about the regime, because obviously these were not the kind of challenges you had as much when everything was a a military camp, like it was with, with Quintricia. So um, yeah, it's, a terrible situation for everyone involved um let's hope it's a, a one-off
0: yeah i mean dan said you know we're going to treat you like adults until we have a reason not to do so and you know that's very quickly potentially backfired and hopefully like you say it doesn't come a habit right we'll move on to uh to the day after that so that was tuesday 17th uh and former lion favorite running back carry on johnson's cup of the Eagles with an injury designation which is real shame but then also the shock move that Sean Dion Hamilton was moved to IR ending his season with the Lions. He hasn't been waived with a, an injury settlement. He remains on the team. He will remain on the team until next season now unless he is waived with an injury assessment. But he cannot play again for the Lions this season. And uh, well, Chad Hanson was also waived with an injury assessment. Michael Barnett was also waived. We'll come on to Don Newell back, um, back in a moment. But Deion Hamilton, for me, was making this roster as the final linebacker, potentially. I think he was in, in the battle between him and Tavai and um, Pittman, was probably the, the guy kind of just edging ahead. So it feels like a real shame, especially considering what happened on Saturday night, that the potentially a uh, rotation piece in that linebacker core is, is not playing for this season.
1: It's, it's such a shame, really. I mean, but it's what happens in the pursuit of those NFL spots, guys. You know, they have to push themselves really hard and things like this happen. I mean, we've been seeing all week so many guys been going on to IR this week. They're just it's so unfortunate as well. You wait all this time and then your season's over and you've got to wait another 12 months before you can give it a go again. And like you say, Hamilton was creating a very good opportunity for himself to get on the roster and for this to happen it's just it's devastating for him because you know will he's will the team stick with him another year he's probably going to be one of the ones who ends up getting cut now as opposed to getting a roster spot which is a real shame you want to see the guys who are working incredibly hard to make this roster get a chance to succeed so yeah it's, it's just a bad thing all around for him and it's such a shame yeah it's,
2: it's the worst part of the game I mean even just briefly going back to carry on I was so excited watching him in his rookie year, especially that back half of the season and just seeing someone who everything you hear is he's a great guy um, interacts with fans in the right way, et cetera, to see someone like that fall out of favor with the lions just because he can't stay healthy and has no pop anymore. And then obviously the same thing happened with the Eagles is, is killer. Same with Deion Hamilton and same with Chad Hansen. Actually, he was a guy who I wouldn't have expected in the first round of cuts just because Um, There was a little bit of buzz coming out about him, obviously, uh, having worked with Goff before, but again, just just couldn't get on the field. So um, you hate to see guys lose their opportunity because of injuries rather than because they're just not quite the calibre yet.
1: It was yeah, it was such a shame with Kerry on as well, like you say. he was We all really wanted him to do well here. But I think, you know, with hindsight now, it does justify the Lions' decision to cut him. Because I know there was a lot of people at the time who were like, well, why the hell have we cut him as a good blocking back? Because we'd not really utilised him as much in the running game, put as much wear and tear on him. I think he'd been able to stay healthy. But he's had that many injury problems over the years that it was time and they made the right decision because now it's going to raise the same question with Sean Hand, you know, how long do you put up with his injuries and him taking up a roster spot when he's not playing half the time and he's not, he's not fully fit at the minute. It's the same question we've got to have. And if they decide to go the other way with him and release him as well, you can now see that that's why they do it because there's only so long. We've given them several years and they've just not been able to overcome these injuries for whatever reason. I mean, so, if he yeah,
0: can't, yeah. can't get fit by the start of the season, he should just smoke a fat blunt and then get suspended for the first six games. And then, you know, he's got a shot at actually getting fit and coming back. I mean, I know I, this is slightly flippant, but Jashon Cornell actually has a much better chance of making this roster because he's suspended. And it's, it's a perverse way that the rules work, isn't it? Because defensive line is potentially one, I, I say, strength. I was going to say strength, and I don't really mean strength, but stronger units that this team has and deeper too. There's, you know, six or seven guys for three spots who could all play a part in an NFL roster for sure. So Cornell's given him like a kind of leg up on on people like Kevin Strong and that sort of thing who, you know, have to make it through Tuesday next week. It's one of the
2: few position groups where we may actually see a Lions player who doesn't make our team go on to a different team. Because there's, there's not going to be many, let's be honest. But I genuinely, there's going to be players that you're going to be sad to see go out of that defensive line group. Yeah, I
0: really will. Uh, just a quick um, hello to some of the guys in the YouTube chat. Then Death Fan Man, Antonio Jenkins, Omar Pacheo. Thank you so much for joining us. What's up, guys? Death Fan Man said in response to what you said. Tom thought the Packers were the worst part of the game, but injury is equally terrible. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> fuck, fuck the Packers. Um, Right, let's get on to to Mule. So, by this time, the Lions were down to 85, guys. So, no more cuts needed to occur. But, Don Muleback, in a shock move, was released by the Lions after 17 seasons, playing in 260 games, second most by a Lion, and 37th in all-time games in the NFL. And he was cut, it was announced he was being cut on his 40th birthday, actually became effective the day afterwards. Um... In a, in a corresponding move, Jordan uh, Tayamu came back, so he was on the practice squad last year. Um, Tim Boyle, David Blau were carrying minor knots at the time, so this is just to provide a bit of insurance, and he may well end up on the practice squad again. Um, do you feel like it was worth bringing on quarterback four, just so Don didn't have a shot, or do you think you know, they just decided that Scott Daly had won the job, and if that's true, then why waste the spot on someone else?
1: it's difficult, isn't it? It's when someone's been at the franchise for so long and has such a clean record, you know, doing their job to perfection like he did. It's really difficult when the call comes by to cut him. But I said the same with Prater a while ago. It's, you know, we're all sad Prater's gone, but you were seeing a little bit of regression in his game. And by even his own accounts, Mulbach didn't have the best of years last year by his standards. And we're entering a rebuild now where, you know, in a year or two, maybe three years, we're going to be competing. And I think these are moves that need to be made now so we can solve them now. You see with teams like the Packers, their special teams are horrendous and holding them back a lot. You know, we need to... These are just some positions that we need to get the ball rolling and we need to find the guys of the future, younger guys and you know, the thing, the problem in Detroit, you know, we get attached to a lot of players because we've had no success on the pitch in terms of playoff wins, et cetera, et cetera. We get really attached to certain guys. And I think it's, you know, we've just got to leave them in the past now and we've got to look forward. I think Campbell's doing this for the right reasons. I think, you know, it is time to look at these positions and, you know, get younger because they're not going to be any younger when it comes to the time that matters. And it's really sad, but in terms of back, he's a legend here and, you know, he's always going to be remembered as one of the best players the franchise has had. So, yeah, it's just really sad to see him go, but I think it needed to be done. And I think Dan Campbell has done well making these tough decisions. You know, that can't have been easy for him and he called himself an asshole for doing it. But the fact that he's willing to put his neck on the line and make these decisions is also very reassuring. There's a plan in place and he's going to see it through to the end no matter what.
2: Yeah, I mentioned on the WhatsApp chat that when I went to the Lions Falcons game at Wembley, um, they had a Trafalgar Square kind of fan party the day before, and the three lines they brought up on stage were Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson, and Mule. And I was, I feel like that's a pretty good summary of, I mean, maybe where the Lions roster was, but 2015 our roster wasn't too bad. But how much of a, a hero he is to the to the Lions faithful. So, um, removing the emotional attachment. I completely agree with what Ant said. I feel like, I mean, long snapper isn't just an easy fix. Um, there aren't loads of these guys kind of hanging around who will be an instant replacement. I think we've seen that. I mean, Bob Quinn's first draft, I think he, he picked a, a long snapper in the sixth round, right? From, from Baylor. I come from, Jimmy Landis. There we are, Jimmy Landers, And he flamed out. And we've got someone into camp every year and none of them have beat him out. So... Getting ahead of this process for when we do feel like we have a roster ready to compete, I think is really important. So, um, yeah, removing the emotion, I'm not against it at all. Still came as a massive shock there.
0: Yeah, Ashley Soden from our WhatsApp chats just said on Twitch, doesn't Riz see Daly as a decent NFL caliber long snapper? He has said that on several occasions. In fact, he delighted in recalling the tale several times about how he annoyed Jeremy Weisman and others with that take, and it's kind of perversely true, really. I have to say, and I kept saying it, and I'm going to keep saying it until I see it on the field, I don't see it. Scott Daly has a perfectly good long snap for punts, but for place kicks, field goals, extra points. His snaps are wide left and low. And it really provides a challenge to Jack Fox when it should be, you know, right where the hands are. He's having to move a long way in order to give Bullock the ball in time to hit. And you know what? You know what field goal kickers are like. If the ball is not there on time in the in the right place, it can just throw them off their rhythm, even if the ball is in the right place at the right time. So long snapper and the whole chemistry there is is a massive deal, and it could cost the Lions games. And I feel like on, even if he had the odds bad snap. For me, Daly had no good field goal snaps. So When
1: when do you want to be losing games on your special teams, though? Now, in a season where we're rebuilding, or in three years when we've got our team together and we're competing, do we want to miss out on an NFC Championship by a mixed-up field goal, etc., a bit of play there? That's why I think, this is why he's doing it now. As Tom said, it's so hard to replace these guys. And yes, we could run with Prater, we can run with Mulbat. But what about in two years when they're two years older and they're regressing even more? Are we then going to go into the preseason and be like, oh, great, yeah, we need to replace our kicker, we need to replace our long snapper? You know, that's not an ideal position to be in at all. And I get why people are upset about it, but I also get that we need to look forward. You know, these guys are going to be heroes to the franchise forever, but they're in the past now. And we've got to look forward to going at where this team's going. And they just don't fit in with the timeline of our build, unfortunately. And Dan Campbell's recognised this and he's made the decisions. They're very tough decisions to make. You know, a lesser person would have gone, you know what, let's stick with them. Because at least this year they might win me a game or two and they'll get a bit of heat off me. But he's made the tough decision to just start again and go for it. And, you know, it's admirable at the same time.
2: And Scott Daly, do I think he'll be on the Lions roster at the start of the 2023 season? If I had to guess, no. At the same time, if you'd asked me this time last year, would Jack Fox be on the the Lions roster in two years' time? I probably would have said no. There wasn't much buzz out of him last training camp. And now he's sadly the best thing about Lions football. So um, let's wait and see how it plays out. I think it's for the right reasons. You could tell it really kind of... It hurt Campbell to have to do it. And as you mentioned, I love the fact that he's having to put himself in those situations.
1: Can we not mention last year's punter battle, please? Let's just move on from that.
0: Oh, Aaron Sipostan.
1: <laughs> right, let's move on.
0: Uh, the day afterwards, we signed another player as well. The outside linebacker, edge fullback tight end, Rashad Barry, signed for, for the Lions he played in New England last year. And the Lions fans hate just... Hate him automatically because he's from New England. Um, I have no real comment on him yet. He's, he's got basically no experience whatsoever and didn't play a huge amount in the preseason game. It's just happened. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on most of the list of cuts tomorrow, but we'll see what happens
1: on that. Uh, anyone want to say anything on Barry before I move on? Barry? It, it's really hard to have a comment when you don't know where he's playing. <laughs> It's got about (laughs) six different positions. Is he here as a tight end? Is he here as a linebacker? Is he here as a quarterback? I don't know, so it's very hard to say that is he going to make the roster or not. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay. So day afterwards, so it's August nineteenth. So four days ago, which is I don't know Thursday. I think Thursday. Um, former Lions wide receiver Leonard. Thompson passed away age 69 he was an eighth round pick in 1975 played 175 games to the Lions with 35 touchdowns which is fourth all time and he's in the top 15 in games played receptions and yards from scrimmage he's a franchise legend that really has just gone under the radar he's someone that I'm just I'm ashamed to say that I'm not really aware of him so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on him whatsoever but it's very sad that he's gone and I I really need to do my research and, you know, become a bit more of a Lions history buff, really.
1: Yeah, I can't say, unfortunately, I'm in the same boat. You know, it's sad when any former player of franchise passes away. But, uh, yeah, I think that was a bit before our time, that one.
2: Yeah, a bit before our time. I think the fact he was fourth all-time in receptions, uh, sorry, in touchdowns, and sounds like none of the three of us have heard of him, uh, is surprising, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, I, maybe it's coming to the game a bit late. Us Brits, uh, I'm going to claim that. So
1: yeah, wasn't wasn't around
2: much in 1975, sadly.
1: I think the only thing to say is, look, he was an eighth round pick, so you know, even the guys picked late on can surprise you. So you know, never discount a player just based on where he's drafted. Very
0: true. Very true. Right. Uh, rest of that day on Thursday, Nick Williams was will activated from the reserve COVID-19 list, and to make room for him. Tight end Hunter Thedford was waived, reducing the tight ends on the roster, not inside top two to two. So two two guys are, are now trying to go for that third tight end spot. Um, day after that, so Friday, day before the game, Dan Campbell reveals he's an asshole. I mean, he's kind of put himself up as that already so far. The hard-nosed uh, guy who's going to take all the flack and fair play to him for a Completely owning that decision to cut Don on his 40th birthday. Barry Sanders revealed that, despite taking all precautions possible, he contracted COVID-19, although he is asymptomatic. And the latest episode of Inside the Den dropped that mainly focused on Megatron's enshrinement into the program of fame. You talked about Dan Campbell already and revealing he's an asshole, but I just want to mention it again because it was impressive the way that he came out and owns that. I mean, God forbid that a head coach of the Lions would take responsibility beyond we've got to do better, which was all we got for the last three years.
1: Exactly. You know, he knew it wasn't the most popular of decisions. He knew it was going to get a lot of blowback from it. But again, that's why I said earlier, we should be commending this. He knows, you know... Probably is Mulbach maybe is Mulbach the best long snapper on here. Is is he the best option for short term? Yes, he probably is. But he also understands, given his age, that it's going to be a hindrance for us the longer we go on. Again, we could wait two years until we're ready to compete and go right now we'll get rid of him. We'll get a new long snapper. It's a painful process to find special teams guys. And I'm still just of the opinion that yes, he's decided that now we have to go for it now. if we have two years of rotten special teams, but in our third year, when our team's ready to go, we land on the right combination, then Dan Campbell is absolutely justified in making this decision now, and we all look back on it as a stroke of genius, but a lot of fans are just they're just ready to stick the nail in right now. you know you've got to wait and see how this decision plays out but I can completely 100% see where Dan Campbell has come from. He knows short-term it's the wrong decision, but he knows long-term he'll be justified in doing it. So fair play to him for standing up and admitting it. But again, Lions fans have got to take off the emotional glasses and look at the long-term plan here. Dan Campbell is looking at the long-term and we need to get behind that.
2: And I think it's one of the advantages of it being a new regime in that... I think most line fans are pretty happy around what Brad Holmes has done so far with the team and how Dan Campbell is shaping things up, and kind of the losses haven't started piling up yet. Is realistically, we think there's a good chance of that have happening this year. So um, I think most fans are behind what we're trying to do here, and at the same time, like I say when there is such an emotional connection to one player, um, one such like such a niche player as well. Um, yeah, it's it's harder for fans, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right, news today. Uh, Evan Bain has been released with an injury assessment. He was already on IR, so I'm not sure that he was counting to the roster numbers. I think we're still at 85, but I'm not I'm not au fait with whether someone on IR at this stage of the season counts towards the roster numbers. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, there was also a couple of press conferences today. Dan Campbell and Hock were the two guys that were on YouTube available to see. Um, I'll talk about that later because actually it pertains to what happened on Saturday with the games so just to check in with some of the guys who are watching on Twitch and YouTube um I Ken Stauder thank you for joining us you're absolutely right first year in a six-year gig lots of time not a race yet absolutely lots of comments about what happened in the game thoughts on Blau, Levi other guys too we will get there in just a moment so <clears throat> excuse me <coughs> going to choke the we start. So...
2: <laughs> now, you, is that you're holding back some, some vomit from, from the
0: weekend? Or, you know, were you that unimpressed? I mean, the first half was pretty dire, wasn't it? It was not the best. So, I can see from the box score, and I don't need reminding, but it's right there in black and white. But after three quarters of this game, it was 23-0. I mean... It's a preseason game and preseason results don't matter. As we all know, it says 0-2 against the Lions, and then by Monday next week, it will be 0 naught because it won't have mattered. So who gives a fly puck? But the manner in which we lost, especially in the first half with our our second string quarterback and a few starters on offense and a few resties... um the manner in which they got taken apart by the Steelers' offense and the Steelers' defense was worrying for some of these guys who were perhaps a bit more on the roster bubble than some of our third stringers who played very well in this game towards the back end. And Dan Campbell came out and said afterwards, some guys everyone thought was going to make it, I'm not going to make it, and some guys who you didn't think were going to make it are going to surprise you when they're in with a chance. But maybe he's talking about some of those third stringers bringing themselves into contention, rather than those second stringers. Because for me, that first half was almost unwatchable. It was so me and and Steve from Raw the Lions, We were watching it with um, Chris Perfett from Pride of Detroit. The first half, and it was it was so much fun because we were with Chris. But Oh my God, we had to be our own comedians because Jesus Christ, all the life was sucked out of the room watching the game. How did you boys feel watching the overall game before we break it down position by position?
1: Your overall thoughts from the game? Um, I think you have to take into account the first half. They started everybody: the string quarterback, wide receivers, offensive line. You know, they sent the house out there for that game and we didn't. You know, we're probably missing our top 15 guys on the roster which given the strength of our roster is that's huge to be missing so many guys so I think you do have to take that into consideration however you did see a lot of last year's problems, busted coverages, struggling to defend against the run, getting stiff armed, all those defensive problems we had last year were quite blatantly on show and offensively on that side of the ball. (laughs) the line crumbled. We saw what happens when our depth players come in behind the top five. The top five are a really good unit or will be a really good unit, but that offensive line got bullied. And I'll talk about them later when we get to it. But, you know, you saw a lot of problems that we had before. However, having said that, you then see a situation where more of the depth guys are coming in and a few of the second stringers who started did well, to be fair. And, You know, Dan Campbell is selling us on this ideal that his teams are never going to give up. They're going to fight till the bitter end, which is what they didn't do under Patricia. And these first two weeks, you've seen that we were double digits down against the Bills. We were 23 points down against the Steelers and we ended up losing by six. This was a team who didn't give up a lot of guys, stood up and gave a lot of effort, especially towards the end. Those guys, desperate to prove a point, did prove a point. So I think, yes, you can say the first half was horrendous and there was a lot of stuff wrong, but if you look at the game as a whole, the mentality is changing and that's critical. And I think that's one of the big things you can take away from this game. The mentality is going in the right direction. There are players trending in the right direction. Yes, there are players trending completely in the wrong direction, but Trying to look for the positives here. So, you know, I I stayed up till four in the morning and I got myself worked up on Twitter and I was a ball of emotion. So I came out going, you know what? I'm feeling not as bad as I thought I would be about this. And I still stand by that. I think there's a lot to be positive about going forward, whilst at the you know, same time seeing that there's a lot wrong and that, you know, we're not gonna be a ten win team or anything this year just because there isn't the depth to do so. So you know, it was a bit of both, but I really enjoyed the ending, to be fair. They did make it competitive.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. So I would expect nothing less than the team to come out and say, yes, we didn't have our starters, but that makes no excuse. I'm going to give them a bit of an excuse because we didn't have our number one quarterback. We didn't have our number one target in Hawk. We didn't have our top two running backs. Um, I can't remember, did Tyrell Williams play? Can't remember if he did. I don't no. think he did. Khalif Raymond didn't play, didn't have Decker and Ragnar, who's obviously been calling the plays, not calling the plays, calling the protection. So there's quite a lot of guys out, to be honest. And I think if you look at other teams as well, the Eagles put out, Jalen Hurts didn't play, but the Eagles put out a full strength offense. Otherwise, they scored zero points. Last year, Super Bowl champs, the Bucks, Tom Brady obviously didn't play, but they had a lot of guys playing. They scored three points. Panthers scored three points. Seahawks scored three points. That's throughout the whole game. So I think... When it comes to preseason, I really don't care about score personally. Um, when I watch it, I focus very much on particular players because I want to see am um, are we seeing the right things from guys who I want to be foundational pieces in kind of one year ideally, but two three years. Um, so yes, it was from a box score perspective, it wasn't great, um, but I think there were quite a lot of positives actually with some of the individual players. And I mean, just look at the first series. The Steelers came out with their full strength offense pretty much. We had undrafted rookies in our lineup, like AJ Parker. And the first series was a three and out and a really strong three and out too, like three really good defensive plays. It's that kind of stuff I want to take with us. Um, And actually, yes, there were two touchdowns early. One was down to kind of the deep ball and the other was down to uh, a linebacker, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So two big plays and that's what we've got to try and avoid. But they're two plays of 50 yards, and we gave up two touchdowns. It's not great. I think there's still a lot of positives to be taken from the game, though.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's check in with another couple of guys that have been chatting on YouTube and Twitch. So Dan, um, who's a uh, I think got his own slot on the Pride of Detroit Green Room uh, podcast on a Saturday, has been saying it's really tough um, because they're being smart and not risking their wands, but they're also not getting any rust off. I hoped he'd do a couple of series up top with the ones and then roster decisions afterwards the rest of the way. Um uh, t- 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 talking about Cogs in the wheel. Would like to see some stuff in the new additions on defense as well, says Ashley. Then a couple of guys from YouTube. Hey, SW Lion, thanks for joining, man. Uh, we have people talking about Vi. We are going to get onto him shortly. So, uh, otherwise nothing much to say see you there. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and, and what have you on the YouTube and the Twitch that really helps us out
1: and I just about to say with in regards to Dan's comment, I completely agree with him. I'm perplexed that more of the first didn't get a go, especially the receivers. They I mean there's no bona fide starters really in there. They need to earn their jobs and by not playing. You know, I don't think it's going to do well just throwing them in against the 49ers week one. I think there's a lot of guys who need game time. And I get, you know, there's the injury risk out there, but this is a rebuilding year for us. This is the year where we have to get people stand up and develop. And I think just throwing them in week one is silly, especially when some of them are not, you know, shouldn't be guaranteed starters. So, yeah, I'm disappointed I've not seen more of them, to be fair.
0: I wonder if we'll see them next week. I mean, it feels wrong that the last preseason game that we might have seen more starters than in preseason game two, but I mean, I suppose it's possible.
1: Well, I mean, you know, they were talking about the Steelers. Usually, Ben plays game three. I think they said it's the only time he plays each year, but that was his scheduled week to play, and they had him out there, and, you know, it's, it'll have done them a lot of good, especially with guys like Friar who you weren't thinking much of. He's got a few touchdowns, it's, that sets them up. You know, you've got to take risks somewhere along the line. It's all right saying you're putting them in cotton wool for the season and keeping them safe, but what if they take a big hit week one? That's all it takes is one hit and they're out for the season. So you're running a risk every single game you play, and I think a lot of them need the game time. You know, especially Sewell. Sewell's not played in 18 months, and you've seen now he's made a – well, again, he's he's made a rocky start. They need more time out there for me, and – it's a mistake to not be playing some of them more. Yeah.
0: All right, let's move on to the game. And we're going to go position by position like we did last week. And we'll start with the offense and we'll start with quarterbacks. So we started off with Tim Boyle, who had the first two and a half quarters. He threw seven for 15, 44 yards. Uh, David Blau then came in for relief, played probably half the amount of time that Boyle did. Through 12 for 17 for 143 yards and a touchdown, admittedly against weaker opposition than Boyle did. Um, having said that, boys, who is, as a result of this, quarterback two on this team? Because that is the question on everyone's lips right now. And I know that no one likes a quarterback two chat, really, because, I mean, no matter how important it is in, in preseason week two, no one gives a hell, you know... Gives a hell. That's not a word. That's not a phrase. But who who gives who gives a shit about who the quarterback to is when the season rolls around? Because if Goff gets injured, this team is not winning any games. So does it really matter? But it matters right now. So who who's quarterback to Tom? We'll go to you first. This.
2: I mean, I struggled to see how you couldn't say David Blau, uh, and, and that's only because we, I mean we're not sitting there in training camp watching all the things that are going on day to day. And obviously there's a reason that he is the quarterback. And part of that is because Boyle's just been brought in to be QB2. But he's really shown very little, I think, in the two games. Or it's not that he's shown little. He's clearly talented. It's whether he can do it at this level. And I think, yes, QB2 might not be a glamorous slot. That being said, a good QB2 means you can still be competitive in games. And... That's what we've got to, again, not to kind of pass the buck again until 2023 or whatever, but that's what we need to find. Does anything I've seen from Tim Boyle give me confidence that he's that person when he's been under Aaron Rodgers and now he comes here and people were saying, could he challenge Jared Goff if Jared Goff gets kind of off? There's just not been enough um, for me. I mean, he's a very frustrating watch. Um, what about you?
1: Sorry, what about you, Anne? If you're going off the last game, obviously, it's Blau. You know, he came in, he did really well. You know, I know his first few plays, there were some really good scrambles out of a collapsing pocket. I think, you know, it was the same as last week. Both of them were given a hide into nothing by the offensive line. It were straight trash. There was so much pressure put on them. You know, edge rushes were coming through unmarked. They were just put under so much pressure that it's really hard to see them operate without it but Blau handled it better. Like I say, he scrambled out the pocket well. He threw it well, whereas Boyle didn't. And, you know, I know I got an awful lot of flack last week for saying he was number two probably at that point. But last week's game, I thought he did all right. I thought they both did all right. I'm going on what I'm seeing in front of me. I saw some players under pressure, which I was impressed with. But, you know, he had issues. But this week, he, he Yeah, he struggled a lot. A lot of his passes were off placement. And again, a lot of it was down to pressure. But Blau had to deal with the same pressure and he dealt with it better. So it's definitely Blau as it stands. Boyle's going to have to have a really good game against the Colts to get himself back in that conversation. And that's if Tiamu doesn't get a shot in front of him, which could be a possibility. But it will be good to see Blau get the start next week to see how he deals with the same pressure. Because obviously, later in the game, lesser players on. But, you know, yeah, you, you can't argue it's Blau for now.
0: Yeah, so just on that point, quickly, SW Lion has said,
1: Blau is clearly the backup. People criticise him for
0: playing against reserves, but remember, he has reserves on his side of the ball too, and he's elusive. He must be working out with his wife. I'm sure he is. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I'm with you, Anne. It was actually a question I was going to follow up with. Blau absolutely has to start pre-season game three with Boyle coming in as a reserve. Just To give both the opportunity to try and thrive in that game situation, the problem you have is, are the Colts going to play their ones? Because if you don't, it's still not like with like. So, you know, you hope that Blau comes up against tougher opposition and gets the chance to show that he can do it equally. You hope that Boyle actually has a little bit less pressure and can show that under those circumstances that he can
1: do it just as well as Blau can. Exactly. And this is the thing we've got about Jared Goff is we're all worried about what's going to happen when he's under pressure and he's playing. But if he's kept in a clean pocket, you know, would Boyle have the same success if he was in a clean pocket as well? Let's not forget week one, he got chop blocked. He got late hit, which was called. He took some really big hits, but he tried to keep coming back in and playing. He showed the fortitude to do so. And I mean, this weekend just gone as again the offensive line had a nightmare and the Steelers had their starters and that's one of the better defenses in the league yes it may have regressed a little bit but it's still elite you know these are really big guys you're going up against without your front linemen and a big part of the game have been a good quarterback is being able to throw with at least sometimes not having a complete you know clusterfuck of pressure on you so you know, Blau has earned the right to go against whoever, you know, the strongest lineup the Colts put out next week. But, you know, again, like I say, I do hope Boyle does get a chance when he's not getting chased around everywhere. You both of them get that chance to show what they really can do when the line stands up and protects them.
2: Yeah, and the problem is here, I mean, they're both really QB3. I mean, Blau's been QB3 for a couple years, years um, and has still not taken the jump to be QB2. And he's not exactly the second coming of Joe Montana here. I mean, he didn't grade out particularly well throwing the ball anyway. As you mentioned, he just scrambled really effectively against guys who we don't expect to be on NFL rosters in in a few weeks' time. So um, it's not really like anyone's winning the job, I think, is the challenge here. And I think that's going to become, maybe in an odd way, more comforting for fans when we play the 49ers in week one and we have that D-line to deal with and potentially Jared Goff, doesn't look fantastic, that we don't necessarily have fans immediately calling for someone else to go in there because I don't think we re- we really want to be seeing Boyle or Blau uh, in, for regular season reps,
0: right? No, you say he hasn't taken the sort of leap from QB3, but I do think that Blau this preseason is better than Blau we've seen before, even when he was starting at, in relief for Stafford two years ago. I think that Blau is looking better. There was a couple of balls, especially I was mentioning to someone else, there was... um a play-action pass to Geronimo Allison over the middle, a quick um, crossing route, that just looked very swish. It was like, oh, if you blink for a second, that could have been an NFL starting quarterback's type of throw. It had velocity, he got through his progressions really quickly, he saw his man open, threw it hard. It, It has some zip on it. I mean, it was only a kind of short to medium length throw, and we know that Blau doesn't have the biggest arm, but I was heartened by seeing at least something of progression from Blau in my
2: opinion. I agree he's definitely taken a step I think that's where some of what the the people are saying in chat that we want to see him with the second string is to see has he really taken a step or is he just playing against lesser competition because there definitely seems like there's an extra level of um, capability but also confidence Um, and so yeah it's it's nothing against Blau I just I'd love to see someone just go and win this QB2 job, like really go and win it. And whilst it was a solid performance, I think we need to see it against the twos to really take it seriously, I'd say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If he puts up the same numbers next week, starting, then you've got reason to really get on that bandwagon for him. Been a proper two.
0: Yeah, uh, a couple of comments from PYSW Lions says, I think Blau's improved too. He's made some nice touch throws in both games. Uh, he thinks that the Colts are going to be sitting a lot of their guys, but he wants Blau to start in game three. Feral, B. Farrell has also said the same thing, like to see Blau start with the second string guys. Um, and then we've got Det Fan Man saying, this is a lot of time discussing something that only matters if golf breaks. And if golf breaks, we're losing regardless of Blau and Boyle totally said that at the top of the show but you know what this is like always going to be the leading story of preseason and I unashamedly say I'm 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 enjoying it so but I will move on for you sir so moving on to the running backs and in the game we had five running backs get the ball uh, led by Craig Reynolds once again um five carries 29 yards and a touchdown along 12. Our second longest rusher was actually David Blau, 2 for 26. But Jermar Jefferson got the start, three carries for 22 yards, including a really, really positive 10-yard gain on the first offensive series for a second consecutive first down, if my memory serves me right. And then the Godwin-Iguib-UK converted safety, 7 for 21 and a touchdown, which was actually a, a really nice play. And then Dedrick Mills not having the best day with... Four carries for nine yards. What did you make out of the running back room in this game?
1: There were positives for sure. I think you know. Obviously, you've got to start with Reynolds. It's A good story with him, obviously, to come in. A lot of people just sort of dismissed him as a camp body. But I think he's the, you know, the spirit of what preseason's about. It's giving guys on the bubble or with not much chance of making the squad a chance to shine and show that they really give you something. I mean, I know during my tweet live stream, I wrote a lot about him. I love his, you know, the elegant balance he's got when he's when he's hit. You know, his ability to stay on his feet and just still be able to bulldoze his way forward. He's another one like Blau. I want to see him maybe get a start next week and see what he can do against a higher level opposition. Because I'm not knocking anything he's done. He's been really good in preseason. He's shown a really good ability to run the ball, you know, get yards after contact, etc. Something that we're really looking to see. But, you know, he just, you know, if we can see him translate it to a bit more harder opposition, then great. You know, we're going to have a guy who can compete for the roster spot. I'm disappointed I've not seen more of Jamar. Everyone knows how much of a fan I am of Jamar. And you saw his first run, what he can do. You know, he made two really lovely cuts to get through the holes on the line and what he was given. But you can't just give him three runs and then pull him off. You know, you need to give him a chance to show what he can do. And like last week, he's working behind an offensive line that's been garbage They've not made much in the way of running lanes for people. He's been on a hide into nothing. Cause I know I've seen people saying that, you know, Reynolds is the clear running back three now, but that's just simply not true. Reynolds has been working again, not disrespecting him, but he's been working against opposition that's not anywhere near as tough as what Jamar's had to work against. And you've seen flashes of what he can do, but you know, you need to give him the opportunity to show you what he can do for real. So it's a shame. But I think, I think we've got a good running back room. If we run with Swift and a healthy Swift and a healthy Williams, you've got Jamar Jefferson backing them up. You've got Craig Reynolds in there, you know, continuing to improve and show what he can. And even Dedrick Mills, I do like Dedrick Mills. Last week, especially, I think he's got something he brings as a depth player. Again, he's another one who hits the holes with a brute force, who can stay on his feet, who can get your positive yardage. I think them five in the team, you know, it's a good running back room. Two bona fide running back ones, possibly, or two potential running back ones, in good depth. Yeah, Godwin, I'd... you know, I know we got the touchdown, but I don't. I'd, I'd still cut him. I would. In
2: general, I was pretty impressed with the running backs, just because there was nothing there for them um, last year. There, sorry, last year, last week there was a number of positives in the run game. Um, there was obviously some shaky moves too, but actually there was a lot of movement this week there was really nothing. I don't know who graded up particularly well from a run-blocking standpoint, but I didn't really see anything. And there weren't holes for people to go and and gash big 10, 15-yard runs up the middle. So for the most part, I actually thought the running backs did pretty well. Like I say, I want to see more of Jamar Jefferson. Um, And a lot of the depth guys, hopefully we can try and stash on the practice squad because there's a good chance that with Kabinda, we actually only keep three running backs as in three running backs and Kabinda. And therefore, it's can we kind of squeak these guys onto the practice squad? Because as we saw last year, we, we're going to churn through running backs. I mean, Swift has struggled to stay on the field. Um, we, we're going to see some of these guys in the regular season. It's, it's whether we can hold on to it. Um, just quickly on Reynolds, we just need to see him against better opposition. There's so many positives and, and not just it's not just the box score. Vision, it's vision, the best, the most impressive thing for me is his contact balance. The amount of time he's getting hits and shrugging guys off or spinning out of hits and just getting those extra yards is really, really impressive. And something that, to be honest, we haven't seen from the other guys who are taking reps ahead of him. So, yeah, I think just like everyone's saying, we just need to see a bit more of him. And I'd love to see some more of Jamar Jefferson too because um, we hear good things out of, out of camp, but... I just want to see it before kind of anointing someone running back three. And it's not that he's done anything wrong as such, but I just want to give him a bit of a run, get, get him into a flow.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Reynolds is so impressive because he's just got this uncanny knack of, of executing his spin move half a second before the point of contact and then just kind of bouncing off as his momentum spins him away from the defender. It's really cool to see that someone just has that kind of feel if he can get a bit of lateral movement when he's actually running forwards as opposed to spinning as well, it's a really powerful combination. So I'm impressed. There's a lot of guys in the chat saying four running backs or three. Tom, you've already alluded, I think, to three, along with Kabinda being the four. Is that right? Well, that's
2: only... It feels like there's so many guys there, we should keep more. But actually, if you look at a lot of the roster projections from... Eric Schlitt, Chris Burke, these kind of guys who are, who are in the know, or, or at least more in the know than me, that's for sure. Um, a lot of the projections seem to be that we're going to keep three in a fullback um, and then probably try and stash two of these guys on the practice squad. So, yes, I'd love for, uh, for us to keep an extra one, but then we're going to be losing someone else where. So, actually, when it gets down to, to 53 names, I think there's a good chance that we do only keep um, keep three of these guys.
0: What about you, Ant? Are you in agreement?
1: I'd like to keep four. I think we can sneak Mills through to the practice squad. I'd absolutely love to keep Dedrick Mills just stashed away there and keep – if Reynolds gets the start next week and does well. In fact, yeah, I think that's what I base it on. If Reynolds starts next week and does well, I'd stash him as running back four, and I would try and sneak Mills through to the practice squad. But for me, Jamar's still at three, but – I've done a lot of tape watching on him. So that's why he needs to appeal to the average fan, not the average fan, but he needs to appeal to the wider fan base. And you only do that by getting reps. But I'd like to keep four.
0: Yeah. So SW Lions says four. Luke G, hey man, how you doing? Says four. Steve O says four. Uh, Dan asked the question on Twitch as well. What do you think, man? Um, For me, I'm with Anne it's all down to Craig Reynolds. I do not think Mills can force his way on. I don't think he can beat out Jamar. I do think that Craig Reynolds, maybe not can beat out Jamar, but can go like third equal and and force his way on. I do think that if Craig Reynolds has a good preseason game three, that he might find himself picked up off the practice squad. So I fear that he won't get through.
1: I I think the way I'd look at it, for me if you've got good players then you keep them even if it's in a position where you think maybe it's one too much i mean would you rather i mean if hypothetically i was to say you know let's get a safety and he's obviously a depth safety he's not very good but he's just there as depth at position and we have to chuck craig reynolds away even if he has a good game next week who would you keep for me you just keep your good players because you know one of them could get injured if one of the running backs gets injured and, you know, he's there on your roster going forward. For me, if you've got good players, keep them.
2: I think you, you keep your good players. They've got to contribute on special teams, though. If you're running back four, I, I need to see you taking reps on special teams. Uh, and I don't have the stamp numbers in front of me. I imagine being an ex-safety, Igwe um, will probably represent more on special teams. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I've got to see.
1: I think, you know, you look, Swift and Williams also play the slot. So you can look at it that way. If you utilize one of them guys that way, then you can justify maybe having a fourth guy at running back. If your main, rec- if your main running backs are performing a second function up top as well. Yeah. yeah if, you have, if you're
2: going to have two back sets, if you're going to play two tight ends, um, maybe you can get away with five receivers and therefore keep an extra guy. So it's definitely doable. I just, I think from uh, the projections I've seen, a lot of them have us only keeping three, which I found quite surprising.
0: To be honest, my baseline is three. I do hope it is three. Um, I would just feel sorry for the guy who doesn't make it. But my my feeling on it is this, and I keep saying this to death because it is what I just believe in my bones. If the run blocking is good, a running back off the street performs well. And we haven't seen our first team O-line out there kind of clicking together. But once it happens, I do really think that if you... Either elevate someone with a practice squad or sign someone the day before, ally Craig Reynolds, that they will come in and perform in a way that safety four, safety five, running back, uh, wide receiver six will not be able to do because they have to be able to pick up ski. So, running backs don't require familiarity in order to perform, that's why you can do that. So, if, if Craig Reynolds justifies a spot by playing well, I will be okay with it, but if he doesn't.
1: It's got to be three. I think if he justifies his spot, then you know if they all justify their spots, we should keep them. Let's not forget, Anthony Lynn loves his run game. We're going to need running backs and we're going to need a good, dearthful supply of them. That is what our offense is going to be based on a lot of. So if we've got five good ones now, keep them, give them to Anthony Lynn and let him use them. I mean, if if Swift is carrying a groin injury and needs to limit his loads, we're gonna need the depth in there to, you know, help with that. So let's just keep them and use them because that's what this offense is based on.
0: Uh, Dan says, Can we have Mills, the group UK and Reynolds um, on the fifty-three? <laughs> uh, i don't think so but six he says six running backs for the season including an enlarged practice squad doesn't seem too much to me i mean you might be right but it seems like a lot sw lions is i respectfully disagree with you guys that i think Reynolds has to knock out the park in game three i think he's shown enough already and i mean yeah he's the best performing running back per pff
1: in the whole preseason in the nfl and well, you know that's saying a lot really well We'll come back to this later, because I think there's a few guys in this position. I think there's a discussion to be had about it. So, you know, about the guys playing the lesser depth role. So I think it's something we can come back to in a little bit and give it more context.
0: Dan's just um, clarified what he said by saying Mills and Goblin on the practice spot. Fair enough. I can go with that. Okay, let's move oh, yeah. on from running back. And let's move to wide receiver. Uh, led by Tom Kennedy, caught every ball again. Four for, Not again, he was four for six last time. Four for four. 61 yards, along of 31. Geronimo Allison won for two for 22, and then it trickled down from there, including a rare reception for Brock Wright in the tight end three battle. Quintus Cephas also did quite well with two for three, and actually Craig Reynolds caught two for three as well, showing that he can do it there. Um, we did get a, a receiving touchdown. Javon McKinney made the, me- uh, made the most of his limited snaps by catching the one ball. He was thrown for 10 yards following Blau's scramble in the corner of the end zone. Uh, I'm going to come to Tom first. Wide receivers. Um, did you see anything from anyone that makes you think that they've got a shot at this roster?
2: I'm glad you give me a question that I can actually give you a positive answer to. So you know, I'm I'm happy with that. I thought Tom Kennedy did uh, a really solid job. I thought he looked he looked good. Um, he stood out versus a lot of shit, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I, I thought he looked a little feisty. He he was the bright spot in an otherwise disastrous outing from the entire position group, to be honest. And I'd lump tight ends tight ends in there as well. I mean, it was a massacre, really.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, what well, I think Kennedy was the only one of them who got one more than more than one reception, wasn't he? I think. Oh, got my wrong? Oh, I think Sifat's got a couple. Two. Yeah. So but,
0: several people got two, but no one got three.
1: Yeah. So it's very hard to make a judgment based on them getting one or two receptions. But I think the Kennedy one's interesting and this is where we go back well, you know, we've gone straight back into Reynolds. You know, it's Kennedy has come in and done really well in two games now. Now, let's forget he's he's gained a rapport with Blau because Boyle threw all the passes to him last week. Blau stole all the passes to him this week pretty much. So that's two quarterbacks who he's built a rapport with and they seem to like going to him. Now, the whole point of preseason is players on the bubble showing us that they've got what it takes. And he, by far and away, has had the most yards and the most receptions. So, you know, we should be giving serious consideration to putting him on the roster here. Again, not working with quarterback one either. He's in very difficult circumstances. And he's come in and he's done very well. I think on the drive for the second touchdown, was it? I can't remember. He took a really nice catch. I think he made about 20, 25 yards out of it. Yeah. And I think I've seen a lot of people questioning, you know, whether he still deserves a roster spot. But what is the point of having pre-season saying to these guys, go out there, play well, earn your a roster spot, and then just dismissing him? I think there's guys, especially veterans on that line who aren't playing, who need to be worried about their positions, because I think he's doing everything he can to get a spot on that roster. And if we're doing this as a meritocracy, he's earning one. If he has another good game next week, especially if, again, he starts near the start of the game, How can you not take him?
0: So, here's my take on it. If we take uh, six wide receivers, Kennedy is definitely there for me. I I am penciling him in. I'm not just saying he's on the bubble. I'm not quite putting it in pen yet, but the guy is doing it. And for all those guys who've come out and said, and I'm talking to mainstream media guys here, uh, Schlitt in particular, who's said something similar, but I think he's actually replying to Chris Burke. We both said Tom Kennedy's problem is that you've got guys like Amon Ralston Brown um, and the other wide receiver whose name escapes me, who is now the wide receiver two, but was Ragada's wide receiver four. Um, not Rackley. Who's the other guy? Raymond. Khalif Raymond. Khalif Raymond. Raymond. Are both natural slot receivers who are going to be above him in the pecking order, and Tom Kennedy is a slot receiver. He's not providing anything special and unique from those two guys. Which hampers his his route onto the roster. Whereas someone like Javon McKinley is obviously his big-bodied guy who's going to live on the outside, and that's something we don't have a dirt of. So even if you think that McKinley is a worse receiver, he's playing in a in a rarer position for the Lions. And to those people, I say play Amomra on the outside because he can definitely do that. And Tom Kennedy, uh, it was MCDC came out in the press conference today and said Tom Kennedy can play in all three spots on those wide receiver positions. Now i want to see that. But if he can, the guy just seems to get open at three, four yards every single play on the field. Like, at least give him a shot. If he's not doing it against some starters in the NFL proper, cut him. Like, who cares? You know, he's done it for the last three seasons where he's been, like, the best wide receiver in preseason every single year.
1: You've got to take him. Exactly, and... You know, I respectfully disagree with the guys who say he doesn't have the skill set there. What has Khalif Raymond done to earn been rested as better than Tom, been rested and been considered to be better than Tom Kennedy? He hasn't. I know he's been bought in for his return skills and we can use him as a receiver, but Tom Kennedy has gone out in preseason and made a stand. He's made a point. I want to be picked for this team. He's leading in receptions, he's leading in yards. What has Khalif Raymond done? Absolutely nothing. And I don't, I just find it astounding that he's getting protected and told, oh, yeah, he's going to get a roster spot when Tom Kennedy is just getting dismissed. I think that's completely, you know, at odds with what you're saying about preseason giving guys a chance. Cutting him now would we'll just send out the wrong message. And again, what has Raymond done to earn his spot? We've not seen Perriman play. I. D- well,
0: it, I mean, yeah, that's... Perryman is someone who I think is perilously close to being cut.
1: Yeah. Nice, love
0: that.
1: Yeah, but again, you know, Kennedy has gone out and done what has been asked of him, so for him to be considered behind the lights of Khalif Raymond, I don't get Not one bit. Okay, when, just, I'm sorry.
2: I was just going to say, when Campbell mentioned around straight after the game, guys who people might think are going to make this team are not and vice versa... I was kind of running down the list of, of potential people and the guy that came to mind was Brishad Perriman. I mean, he, he was before pre-season locked into that wide receiver two role and just what have you seen? I guess the challenge is almost what you mentioned there is no one on the outside has really shown anything. But I think I'd keep Cephas over Perriman right now to play on the outside just because I've seen so little um, that I just, I, I don't see the future there.
0: Yeah, I'm with you as well. Cephas is definitely up there and he had a good outing. Uh, he showed safe hands and, you know, he's not the mold of a guy that's going to succeed on this roster long term because he's not this, you know, fast receiver. Let's be fair. He's a, he's a kind of mediocre speed. But he seems to get separation. He's got safe hands. So I hope he makes it. The other guy who I didn't expect to really do well, he's kind of done it in the last couple of games. It's only a reception here and there, but he looks sure-footed doing it and has reasonable hands. It's not someone I thought I'd say about is Geronimo Allison. He kind of just ran his routes quite well, seemed to get separation, didn't get targeted very much, but when he has been, seems to catch the ball more than I thought he would, given that his problem in Green Bay
1: were drops. And he got the turnover on special teams. He was the one who recovered the ball from the onside kick leading up to the third touchdown. Mm. Yeah. So again, he's showing worth on special teams, which, as you know, is critical for those final wide receiver positions. Yeah.
0: Alright, um, Debt fan man said didn't Perriman play, he had the OPI call you're absolutely right, he did have the OPI call and in fact that- MCDC specifically talked about Perriman and said he knows better than that, his speed is enough that he should win that every time, there is absolutely no need for him to go and get a silly penalty like that. So I- it wasn't quite in those harsh terms
1: but you could hear his annoyance
0: of Rashad Perriman.
1: I thought it was a trash call though I thought it was very generous I know just, it's preseason, exactly. but I thought it was it was very. joke. We'd, we'd be mad about that if that was in a proper game.
2: They're the ones that never normally get called. Re- yeah. Receivers never get called for PI. So if the league starts going that way, I'm all for it as a defensive guy. But you just never see them called.
0: Uh, Depth fan man says he too disliked the call. SW line says any chance to keep six or seven wide receivers, boys.
2: I think six is, six is possible. Um, the problem is if you keep six, you're not keeping four running backs as well, right? So it's do you want to keep a – or do you want to keep Tom Kennedy or do you want to keep Craig Reynolds? I mean, that's a legitimate discussion because you're probably not keeping both.
1: I think that's the question, isn't it? Who's better, your running back four or your wide receiver six? And then you keep the better player, I guess, and you you, you go that way with it. Again, because a lot of the, the running backs can play receiver as well if they need to. So yeah, – it's one of those, but I mean, I think the depth at wide receiver isn't great. I think a bigger one is unlikely because I think the depth is just not as good unless we go out and, you know, unless we get someone off waivers or trade for someone. I don't see it's likely we go bigger with the receivers.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to tight ends. I hesitate to because, uh, but... ugh.
1: <laughs> trash, <laughs> trash,
0: trash, 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 trash. Darren Wells, Elise f- Mack, Brock Wright. Who was the better player out of those three?
1: Neither. And, None of them. Come None on. Them. Pick one. You yeah. have to. Right. <laughs> and I'm not yeah. even specifically big on him. Darren Fells got that many holding calls that I think he thought he was a wrestler for a moment. Uh,
0: two holding calls, one full start Yeah, in, he, in like he, 10 he,
1: plays. I think think he thought he was at SummerSlam that night wrestling because that's all he was doing was holding people. And Elise Mack was just atrocious at blocking as well. That one where he literally pushed the Steelers' edge rusher straight into our running back. Literally just pushed him straight at him and he got flattened. It was just like, Jesus, it was hard to watch. Mm. But, I mean, Fells has been bought in for his experience, but three penalties in one game and just the one reception – you know, he's here to block. He's here to let TJ cook, you know, and he didn't do his job. And, you know, Wright has steadily gone about his business, had a couple of catches and done nothing unspectacular. And unspectacular earned you the victory after what we saw the other day. Both Mac and Fels were horrible. Yeah, fells is at least,
2: he's put things on tape that we know he's better than that. He just had a bad day, right? So frustrating, but it is what it is. Alize Mac. I mean, the the block that he whiffed, which left us on our own one yard line, was. I mean, it was almost Tim Tebow level. It was appalling. So, yeah, I, I didn't come out feeling too positive. Let's say that.
1: I yeah. I raised my eyebrow when Sedford got cut before him because I thought I thought Sedford was better and he must have been incredibly bad to be caught before Mac was. On I that do.
0: Th- I do think that with another tight end on this roster that. Mac would be a prime candidate to be cut tomorrow. I really do. He's shown absolutely nothing, and Brock Wright comes in as the prototypical blocking right end, uh, tight end, who actually is the most athletic of all of them. So I really hope that he can actually prove something in the receiving game and gets another couple of targets because I think he can do it. Like he just hasn't been given enough opportunity. But I hope that they say, right, Mac, you've had enough chances. This is Brock Wright's. You know. Want to lose, and I think I would want to see him start next week because I don't see Pock playing. And to be honest, I'm not sure how much Fells will
1: play either. So that's something I never thought we'd say at the start of preseason: would Brock Wright be battling for tight end three? Yeah. <laughs> but... uh,
0: here's a question from Dan. He says, "Which tight ends getting cut from other teams might you fancy us using our number three on the waiver wire for?" Which is a horrible question not to have prepared for. I have nothing. But Tom, do you?
2: So, no. Uh, that being said, I think it's been touched on a couple of times that obviously the Lions being a weaker roster, um, there is a good chance there are players who would make our 53 who are not going to make other teams 53. And I think you're exactly right, especially with Lynn's scheme in that we are going to be run heavy and the fact that we do want to utilise two tight ends um, at times it would not surprise me at all to see a guy come in after final cuts because C- we've seen nothing from, uh, from Elise Mack or sadly Brock Wright really. So I think that that's a, it's a great shout.
1: I think, I think that's probably what's led to some of this bad offensive line play as well Is the tight ends haven't been helping to block, especially when we've been running, you know, it was, it was clear as day to see. I think if we are to use the waiver wire, I think receiver and tight end are going to be the first two spots we'll be looking at, but, I cannot think at the top of my head about any tight ends who might get cut, sadly, as much as I want to appear knowledgeable about that. it's So, um...
0: so I've just Googled tight ends on the bubble. The first hit is someone who's going to be suspended for the first two weeks of the season.
1: Someone in division, Jace Sternberg,
0: apparently, is someone Green who... Bay.
1: Green Bay won't let him go. Green what? Bay will not let him go. He's, pa- he's
0: a... I don't know. Apparently, he's not played well. He's injury prone and he's tight end three at the moment.
1: I'd so... take him here.
2: Is he young enough that he's practice squad eligible too? Because if so, then I'd imagine if he doesn't make the 53, they'd stash him, but...
1: He'll I, make their roster. I think they're all
0: practice squad eligible now, aren't they? With the rules relaxed once again. I think anyone could go on there, even the Vets.
1: So. He, he got a touchdown the other day, didn't he, against the Jets, which they lost again? I think he got a touchdown there, but they'll not let him go. Not a yeah. chance. Um,
0: that fan man says, I wish MCDC knew what a decent tight end looked like. <laughs> His lack of experience might yeah, really can, hold this team back. Sarcastically so assuming in? the future of
1: tight ends is Hock and fells until we find the new guy. Can Dan go in? Can Dan go <laughs> in and block? I mean, Jesus you know, that's, that's why we've got all these coaches used to play, isn't it? Just some extra depth on the team if we need them. I mean, we could get Randall L in there as well at receiver. He oh, what a, receiver six. what a team we <laughs> we have. Um, right, okay, let's move on to the last
0: position group on the, offense, the offensive line. And it was not the best day, especially in the first half. If you have a look at the bottom three ranked players per PFF for the Lions, they were Jonah Jackson, Matt Nelson, and Pene Uh Jonah Jackson managed to get a pass block grade of 8.2, and I'm pretty sure you have to be dead to get a rating that low. So that's horrific. Uh, it, it's worth mentioning that the best Pass blocking grade of any uh, O-lineman was Halapulavati Vitae with 81.2 in his 11 snaps. And then Dan Skipper in his 40 snaps achieved a 71.9 pass blocking grade. Run blocking was a completely different animal. The best guy in the entire team was Tommy Kramer, 50 snaps at right guard, 66.2, the highest run blocking grade. Was there
1: any redeeming features for you and from this O-line? No. No, none at all. I mean, it's a big problem for us because, as we've already alluded to with the running backs, we these guys need to get valuable reps and game time and some good results, and they're just not getting any help whatsoever. Matt Nelson, I know we've been very complimentary about Matt Nelson in the past. When he comes in as a backup, he does really well. He does the job that's asked of him. But we saw why he wasn't at starter start of the other day. He got absolutely mauled on pretty much what felt like every drive. He was just getting pushed back into the pocket. It all collapsed around him. And for me, that's why Jonah Jackson had such a bad game because his tackle just did not help him one bit. And when that line starts to collapse, it puts even more pressure on the guards. It's, you know, we need Crosby back. You know, you're seeing here, all those who were so quick to dismiss Tyrell Crosby and want to trade him away. This is why you don't trade him away this year. You know, a sixth, seventh round, but it's just throw away. You don't need it. Keep him because the depth behind him is horrendous. He would never have let something like that happen for me. You know, Skipper didn't do much better, but, you know, there, there was there was very little redeeming. I mean, Kramer, in fairness to Kramer, he's done well. I wasn't very big on him when we got him as an undrafted free agent. I didn't think he'd do much, but he did all right. And But outside of that, there really wasn't anything to write home about, and it's worrying.
2: Yeah, it's positive that Vitae at least had a solid outing, admittedly on a much lower snap count than some of these guys, but with Evan Brown playing the full game at centre... And Sewell struggling outside him, uh, he didn't really have much support, let's say. And in the past, it's been Baeta who's needed the support, especially from Ragnar on the inside, right? So I think that's positive. Um, I'm sure we're going to come on to, to Pene in a minute. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of promise, I'd say, given the opportunity at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's talk about Souls. So, you know, number seven overall pick. Expectations, at least from the fan base, appear to be sky high. He had a really torrid day up against uh, Melvin Ingram, who who was running rings around him. Let's let's be honest. Saul ended up on his back once and beaten outright on two or three other occasions. It was, um, what's the word? Unfortunate. But you hear Dan coming out of the press conference saying, "I'm really encouraged because." This is the sort of thing you need to see in preseason for him to, you know, get in the work, know where his deficiencies are. So come week one, he's the best version of Penny we can get. And I'm totally with that. You said that Saul is a hyper intelligent guy who learns from his mistakes really quickly. So let's get him making mistakes early doors. And while, you know, I'd, I'd hope that he would perform better, I can see the positives out of him going up against someone who's, who's done it so consistently over the last decade.
1: Uh, and Tom what do you reckon man he's he's not been i mean he's not been put in a su- position to succeed you know he went out there yesterday I know with Vitae, but they're probably the only guys on the line who really stars I know Jackson's on there but he's still a rookie for all intents and purposes it's a lot harder for a rookie tackle who's changing positions who's in his first year playing his first games in nearly 2 years is it who's playing with tight ends who can't tackle next to him Who's playing with questionable guard play next to him? It's one of the hardest situations he can be dropped into. And of course, there's going to be errors. And of course, the scrutiny, the level of scrutiny on him is huge. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people when I said, you know, which rookie, you know, could potentially be the biggest disappointment this year? When I said Sewell, it's because of this. It's the sheer level of expectation on him. You've seen so many media outlets in Detroit this week already saying, oh, why didn't we take Justin Fields instead of Penne Sewell? It's just because of all the expectation on him. But, you know, he's not done anything wrong. He's, he's just been put in a really difficult spot to succeed to start with. And I think it's not unnatural to see him struggle just a little bit. He's going to learn, as he said, he's a guy who learns really quickly and going into the season, this is going to be, you know, a big learning curve for him, but he's going to be a lot better for it. So I've got no worries with him, you know, because again, he's not been given much help to succeed so far. Yeah, I mean,
2: easy to say, but there's no need to panic. I mean, he's got three courses of film based on two preseason games having not played in, in over a year, so we shouldn't panic. As you mentioned, Jonah Jackson graded pretty much as badly. Uh, and we're positive about him in, in general. Amon Ross and brown um, yeah, I think he graded below 50 as well. So basically, guys didn't play well. We had a bad game. The only thing I'd say with Sewell is if we're being hypercritical, there are a couple concerns that I had in week one, um, which have then come back again in week two. Um, so the struggles versus length and especially a long arm move and it was almost an underrated part of sewell's athletic makeup in the pre-draft process which everyone brushed under the carpet because he was such a solid prospect but arm length obviously he is way down and i don't want to get into kind of half an inch here half an inch there but 33 inch arms is his under under average let's say and I did question how he's going to do against some of these freak athletes who do have giant wingspans. And we saw that with Russo, who got under him in the first game. Obviously, as we talked about, Vitae was just as attributable for that sack. But, but he did get under him. And we saw a similar kind of thing again with, uh, with Ingram this week. So I want, that's just something I'm going to monitor because it does concern me slightly with guys getting under him. There is also definitely a balance issue. And that's in pass pro, but also run blocking. He's coming off his feet quite a lot. And also he's getting set off uh, from a balance standpoint. So like that is a fixable technical thing. Armand sadly is not, but I'm sure he'll find a way around it. So a couple concerns. The final one is I haven't necessarily seen all the athleticism yet. What I've definitely seen is a lack of conditioning. Um, and that sounds super picky, right? But as in first game, he was blowing in the first quarter. Second game, he was blowing five minutes into the second quarter. Don't know if he's getting too worked up. Don't know what's going on there. Obviously, he's early in his journey about getting match fit, but we have one preseason game to go, and then we're going to expect to see him for 60, 70 snaps in the regular season week one. So just a few, if we're being hypercritical, they're the kind of things which are on my mind, at least to keep, to keep an eye out.
1: I don't think you can underappreciate, though, the fact that you know the change of tackle position You know, it's been a long time since he's played right tackle. And, you know, you get set in your ways, you know, with your, you know, your dynamics and everything, you get set to play left tackle on there. And then you're suddenly shifted onto the other side against a different breed of guy over there. And it's it's difficult from a technical standpoint to just immediately drop into it. And again, when you're not getting protection from the guys around you, Jonah Jackson last year benefited from having one of the best centers in football on his right-hand side and a top 10 tackle on his left-hand side, which makes the transition so much more easier on that offensive line. Not taking anything away from Jackson, but saying it helps a lot. And Sewell is a questionable right guard situation next to him, like Crosby had last year. And he's got no one on his outside at tight end helping him block either. So it's just it's a double whammy for him. But I think we're just seeing the rust off now. It's been 18 months since he's played. It's a long time football. I think you'll just get better as the weeks go by, but we just need to stick with this and we need to stop, especially the publications over there talking about Justin Fields. You know, that's not going to help anyone by saying we've made the wrong draft pick because he's going to get killed in Chicago as we saw last week. So it's not going to do any good making those comparisons.
2: Second preseason game is not the time to review draft picks uh, in terms of who we should have picked, et cetera. And let's not underestimate Melbourne Ingram. He was the guy, when we did our free agency preview a few months back, he was the guy I most wanted the Lions to go after as almost a bit of a, um, if we could get him for the right price, um, a bit of a a teacher to some of the younger guys. And he's a smaller guy. So Ingram is 6'2", I believe. Um, and so leverage wise, if he does if you get a bit high and you pop out of, out of your stance, Sewell obviously adjusting to a new position, you can get rocked back just because he's coming up under you and his pads are going to be lower. So yeah, let's not panic. It was definitely not promising. It was a step back from the first week of the preseason, but like I want to see at least a quarter of the regular season before I start being hypercritical
1: the Steelers are the creme de la creme when it comes to their defensive line and their edge rushers. There are not many teams that are going to put up a better unit than that, and they were, they had their best guys out. So that's always going to affect, you know, just the standard he's up against. It's massively upgraded.
0: Alright, let's move on to the defense and the defensive line. So, uh, let's lump in defensive line and the edge rusher outside line as well, because they're basically playing the same spot. So we have, playing in this game, Levi Onzarike, Miles Brown, Rob McRae, Kevin Strong, Aline McNeil, Julian Aquara. let's run down a little bit further, PJ Johnson, Charles Harris, Bruce Hector, uh, and Austin Bryant. So those are all of you guys who played on the defensive line. Who who stood out for you amongst that lot, Tom?
2: It'd have to be Onzerike. Um, And... He was probably the player coming out of the draft that I was least, not least excited about because he's a flashy player, but least happy with just given some of the other players that were available, Trayvon Merrig and Owusu and, uh, Karamoa, these kind of guys. So to see him do what he did, even in limited game time, having only been back for a week was really exciting because he showed some heavy, heavy hands. Um, he, he was knocking linemen off their spot pretty easily the play where he almost created a safety by just completely disrupting the run, stacking the guard, and then actually it was... I can't remember who came in and made the play, but two other guys came in and made the stopper on their own one-yard line, but there was some really positive stuff, especially in the run game. Uh, In the past game, he was really good too. The arm-over move he showed. um, He stacked long-arm move with his inside arm and then swam over uh, to make a play, so... There was positivity. He didn't show a particularly detailed repertoire, I would say, in terms of pass rush moves, but he's still developing. The point is he, he's disruptive. Um, and the only thing with him, I, I just want to see a bit more finish. Um, there was so much positive stuff in the first half of reps. Like He was putting guards on their heels, but they're not finishing the job or not getting round. And even on that swim move in the red zone, if you watch it back, he has a chance to go straight through whoever was in a quarterback then. And he almost falls off to the side. And so there's just a few times where I just want to see a bit more finish. And that could easily be a conditioning point too. He looked pretty tired towards the end of his reps, but there was some really,
0: really good stuff in there. How about some guys that perhaps you weren't enamored with as well? Um, uh,
2: Julian Cuara. So only because in the first game he looked so dangerous um, and actually from a run defense standpoint he was much better this week uh, which is again really positive but from a pass rushing standpoint it just really wasn't there wasn't much of that flash we saw week one um and there's no real reason for that in terms of who he was going up against it wasn't like he was really taking a big step up um I've forgotten the name of the Bills left tackle now but I know he's jumped around a few uh, a few teams the Giants most recently and yeah, he had a bad day, but I would have liked to seen a bit more from him. Um, yeah, he'd probably be the one I'd call out. Austin Bryant would then be the other one. Again, those two guys I was pretty impressed with week one. Uh, and Bryant, for me, just he really struggled, to be honest.
0: How about you, Ant? Same question. Strong strong guys and weak guys.
1: Um. Well... Tom's already mentioned about Levi, you know, we saw the Levi, we expect he is the line disruptor, the guy who manages to swim through, cause chaos in the backfield. You saw a little taste of what he's about and why we're so excited about him. So it was great to see him in getting reps, especially after there were concerns raised about his injuries. But, um, you know, fair play to him. He's shown up, shown what he can do. And I'm really excited to see more of him. I thought Hector did well again. You know, we mentioned him and Strong last week. Hector had a couple of more pressures on the quarterback that he registered, you know, for a guy who we picked up off waivers who wasn't wanted. I think it was from Tennessee we got him. You know, he's having a he's having himself a quietly good pre-season. And again, when it comes to the decision about who we're going to keep there, I think he's going to cause a few headaches about, you know, from players who weren't necessarily in danger before. I think the likes of him and Stronger creating some real big questions to some of the starters there. Um, I agree with um, I thought McNeil did all right. I know we didn't see much of him in there, but, you know, I really nailed my master McNeil, especially when I did the reviews on him saying how good he is and that. But I think the Steelers, not the best team for him really to play against because Ben throws the ball so quickly. A guy his size, he was just never really going to have much chance to get in the backfield and affect the game, but I watched his plays, the centre couldn't deal with him sent out had a really hard time there so I like, you know, what I'm seeing from him again, he's adjusting, but he's learning and he's looking better by the week, even if, even if the flashy stats aren't showing, but he's not about that, so you know, I'm pleased with both the rookies there and outside of that, Bryant was terrible which is a shame especially the face mask call, it was completely needless, you know, let them out of such a Precarious situation as well. You know, we just didn't need it at that time. And like Dan Campbell said, it's one of those, it's completely avoidable. And he should have known better about that. But overall, I like what I'm seeing from the depth guys on the line because I think, you know, the starters are going to be really strong. I think depth is going to be really strong. And I think Deshaun Hans has got to be incredibly worried about his job. From what I'm seeing, I'm just, I'm not sold whatsoever. I just think the injury history is too much now. And what I'm seeing from the guys in the depth is that we've got guys who can replace him and we've got the rookies of the future there as well. So, you know, I like what I'm seeing from them. It's certainly better than it has been in recent years. And I'm certainly seeing opposition quarterbacks under a lot more, in a lot more trouble than we've been used to under Patricia.
0: I mean, I think it's an interesting game for the defensive line, just because the Steelers were very bad running the ball pretty much all day. Um, and, and partially it was because they weren't good running the ball, and partially that it was because they were very efficient passing the ball, so why run it? And so the defensive line actually had like a, a bit of a helping hand in having a good day, so I'm not sure how much stock to put in, how much of a good day some of these guys had, but Strong was someone who really just stood out to me as, as someone who's had a really consistent pre-season and a couple of um, pre-season games as well, so He's one, and and you've already mentioned Levi, who's my other guy. Um, Joshon Cornell, actually, I kind of thought every now and again, oh, he's popped up. Um, That isn't shown in the PFS, that's apparently had a bad day, but I remember thinking, "Ah, there he is again. So I'm keeping a special eye out for him just because I know that he's going to survive all the cut downs just because he's suspended, and he's got a special kind of own cut day of his own, so... We'll see how that goes, but let's move on to the uh, Mike linebackers, and we've got Tavonte Beckett, we've got Derek Barnes, we've got Anthony Pittman, Jane Reeves-Maven, and Jelani Devine. Let's go back to Anne. Who who did well and who didn't for you?
1: It was a really rough day for the linebackers, wasn't it? Um Beckett actually graded out better than anyone, which, yeah, yay for me, because I've been flying his flag, but I think he played five plays, so I can't <laughs> read too much <laughs> into that one there. But, you know, I'll take the small victories where I can. Um, you know what? Reeves may have been played well for the most part, I thought. I know there were a few plays early on where I was quite happy with him, but then he got rinsed on one of the touchdowns. I saw a few problems in there, and then I was reminded of why he's in the position he is, which is perennial special team and now you know, does he have a place on the roster this year? Yes, because of his special team ability, I think. But I don't think he's pressed his case to be a starter for me, which is a shame. You know, because he does have a lot of potential, but there's just a few too many problems in there for me. Um, Tavai, yes, Tavai. Um, so we have to do we have to accept a fee on Tavai. Um, I'm I'm feeling that way a bit. We do, don't we? I think you know we have backed him. We thought we saw something there and, you know, I'll still to this day think there is something there, but it's too late in Detroit now. I think yesterday, just that stiff arm, the way he let that play get away from him. Yeah, I've got to admit defeat on this one. You know, we're human. We make mistakes. We bat the wrong person sometimes, but it's time for him to go. Even if there's not much depth there, he's got to go. I think Pittman's done better. Dion Hamilton was doing better. And are we including Barnes in this lot? Yes. Was it? yeah. Barnes, you know, what can you say? The hype train's there. It's real. You can see what he's about. This is a guy who loves getting in the backfield and just causing absolute havoc. And it's something we've missed from the linebacker position for years. We've not had that all-encompassing linebacker who can just get in there, make plays, and, you know, just really have an effect on the game and, you know, I tweeted out when I on his first play when he came in. I said, oh, you're screwed now, Steelers. Because he's in. And, you know, about 10 minutes later, his stat lines were already through the roof. He was blocking passes. He was getting sacks. He was making plays all over. And he's going to be the future at this position. We got an absolute steal where we got him from. And he was certainly one bright point from this. You know, he built on last week. He's taking his opportunities. And he's going to be a real good presence for us going forward. So... The rest of them, not really happy with him. He did incredibly well. So, you know, silver linings and all. Yeah,
2: I mean, Reeves Maven's put in a pretty tough situation because we don't really have another linebacker that can cover in man. And to be honest, we struggle with safeties who can cover in man. We saw Tracy Walker, obviously, last year, play down in the box more and get torched. Harris is not a guy you want to be manning up. So quite a lot of it, you're... You're asking Reeves Maven to to carry guys deep, uh, and it's just it was it was pretty shaky. Um, But let's let's talk Derek Barnes. How have we got this far in and not talk Derek Barnes yet? But um, there was there was loads of great stuff when I was writing notes on the game initially. I just had in all caps. I love Derek Barnes because there's just (laughs) but all the struggles we've had versus, especially the past in recent years, seeing someone make correct reads and zone be patient in zone and then explode on the ball. And actually, in fairness, that's exactly what we saw with AJ Parker, who we'll come to later as well. But that's so satisfying, having seen guys make completely wrong reads for years now, back to Jared Davis, obviously to more recently, etc. So there was just a number of kind of flash plays, which which caught everyone's attention, whether it was kind of the the sack where obviously he just blitzed through the line. He does definitely have a tell on his blitz, though. Watch it back. And he did exactly the same last week. I knew he was coming on a blitz. He sits way up over his over his toes. So he goes down into his stance early and sits way up over his toes, almost as if he's overly tired and then goes. Whereas in general, he sits a little bit back more on his heels. Uh, so yeah, you can watch out for that next time. There was, there was some stuff to clear up for Barnes. Like in the PFF grades, I don't think he actually graded out that well, especially against the run. Um, he seems to be taking... A pass read step. So as a linebacker, you normally see people take a run read step and then drop back into zone. It may be something he's coached in, but the other lines backers aren't doing it either. So quite often you're seeing him take a step back against the pass and then making a run read, which means he's probably missing a half second there. Um, And he's really struggling with misdirection. So actually the play that iced the game wasn't even a true play action. They had a, a full back and a running back. And The fullback releases straight away as the first back out, and that's Barnes's man. And his eyes just get locked in the backfield looking for a run, and they obviously complete that play early. There was also just a couple times, I don't know if you remember, he shot a gap and made an attempt at a diving tackle, didn't make the tackle, and the guys ran out for, I think it was kind of a nine-yard gain. That's, again, because he's distracted by the receiver on the strong side running a sweep. So he actually makes the read, doesn't trust it, stops – And then goes, and that's what cost him the tackle. So I think he's almost, I mean, he's a rookie. He's probably a little bit afraid to make mistakes. And so on misdirection, things like that, sometimes his reads are, it's not that they're slow, but I think he's getting distracted by a few things and not just going because we see when he does see something and he goes and explodes to the ball, it is, it's mesmerizing to watch. So yeah, loads of flashy stuff things to work on but all coachable things uh, it was so positive even the, the goal line play i know he didn't get the pick but if you watch he sits in his zone he doesn't get distracted i think it's rudolph who's in at the time who tries to look him off and other guys would be biting on it and trying to move he just stays really patient in his zone waits till rudolph comes back and then jumps the route obviously he'll be annoyed he didn't get the pick but it's that kind of stuff which is so positive to see when we haven't seen
0: it for so long yeah, in the in the match press he was asked twice about that drop, and you could see he was he was so annoyed at himself. It was really quite funny to watch actually. A couple of um opinions in the chat. SW Lion says bye Tavai, we'll get onto that later. A uh, Fan Man says checking the whether Tavai is the singly least popular athlete in the Motor City. He's approaching Ebron levels of rejection. If Tavai is visible through the season, he may have set a new precedent. Oh boy. Um, he also says, if Barnes is a pro bowler or in the playoffs, I'll let you run away with that one, but SW Lions come back with just sit Barnes in game three and start him with Collins inside linebacker in game one, and a couple of other guys have also expressed that opinion that they want to see him start over Alex Anzalone. I want to see him in a rotational role where he's he's possibly seeing half the snaps, but just not starting and maybe kind of easing his way into maybe playing a majority of the snaps in the second half of games where he can use his elite athleticism to his advantage while other starters are starting to tire. He was the guy, despite his overall grade by per PFF, he was the highest rated guy in coverage with a 91 grade. And I can't remember the last time I saw in any Lions game someone have an elite coverage grade, but we'll come on to someone else in a moment who also managed it. I mean, Barnes was everywhere. Every single play, it seemed to be him doing something when he was on the field, and that happened last week, and this happened this week. I absolutely love the guy. His energy is electric.
1: There is, a, there is an argument to be made for him to start because he possesses a skill set that none of the starting linebackers currently have. Neither Collins nor Anzalone can get in the backfield like he does, and if you're looking to set a precedent for a game, you're looking to send blitzers in and really put your mark on a game, you start Barnes because he's the one guy in the linebacker core who can do that anzalone and collins they can't
2: Uh, Anzalone's going to be the green dot guy he's going to be making making the calls on the field um and he knows obviously glenn's system and he's more of a i guess smaller more traditional coverage backer so i'm if he stays healthy then i'd like to see him play over barnes to start with just whilst we we get into this Anzalone can't stay on the field sadly Um, he hasn't really for the last four years I don't think he's played a full 16 game season or he's definitely missed a lot of time there's gonna be chances for Barnes Um, Collins obviously we've seen nothing of so far it wouldn't surprise me if he fell off a little bit of a cliff this year in this new system um, with probably a bit less energy for this new regime than everyone else does So I think there's going to be opportunities for Barnes to play. I don't think we necessarily need to rush him into the team right away. What would frustrate me is if he doesn't play at all when we've seen these flashes and this interest. I want him to be playing. I just don't think necessarily he should be starting week one, which I know is an unpopular opinion because he is the most exciting player to watch on the Lions roster right now, but...
0: Okay, right, let's move on to the cornerbacks, both outside and slots. So we had AJ Parker, Jeff Okuda, Jerry Jacobs, Amani Awarie, Mike Ford, Nico Roby Coleman, Bobby Price. Uh, Let's come to Ant first. What what did he make of the cornerbacks? And I, I presume there's one guy at the top of the list.
1: Well, yeah, there's one guy to start with, and obviously that's AJ Parker. I mean,. The guy's an undrafted free agent and he's come in and he's just completely surpassed, you know, I suppose any expectations we could have from him. And the big thing with Parker is he started this game. He played against the better players there. The very first player of the game, pass breakup, AJ Parker set the tone for it. So, I mean, I just love what I've seen of him. I think what it was, I put his stats up yesterday, he had about eight tackles. He was targeted seven times. He only gave up 15 yards on those. So he's a guy, you know, he may give up a few catches, but they're not getting yards against him. He's tackling very stoutly, especially for a guy who's not as tall as him, but he tackles very well. You know, he's all over the field, it seems to be, and he's absolutely desperate to prove a point here. And out of these top two games, and from what I've seen of the likes of Roby Coleman, who's been poor, you know, there's a spot for him there. And if I'm Corn Elder. I'm worrying for my job. I'm telling, you know, I don't know if he's fit. I think he's still injured, but if there's any chance he plays week three, I'm begging to play to get my spot. Because for me, I cut Elder now for Parker because I just think he's been that good.
0: Jalen so, Ramsey's favourite slot corner, corner. But... Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 weird, but Parker's earned his place there. And, you know, he's just been the surprise story so far. And he's he's absolutely earning his way towards a a roster spot on the 53. Roby Coleman's been poor. I know he's not played as many snaps, but what I've seen of him, I don't see any upgrade there. I don't see what he's bringing to this team. It's been disappointing from him so far. Akuda started poor, got better. Obviously, it was very concerning to see um, Deontay Johnson. I think it was just absolutely straight up burn him early on. That was really worrying that play because him, Orawari, and Walker all got hit on plays, and you don't want to be seeing that on one drive. But, you know, he had a good play in the end zone later on to break up a potential touchdown pass. He looked a bit more comfortable as he went on, which was good. But, you know, Price struggled. A few of the other guys struggled there against the passing. So, yeah, definitely there was the one guy who stood out for me. But there wasn't much to write home about other than that.
2: I think one of the most impressive things on Parker, like you say, so he started the game. And it was that first series, so if you don't want to necessarily dive in and watch hours of kind of nickelback footage, then fine. But watch watch the first drive, because the first player of the game, he's sitting patiently in zone, makes the read, and just explodes up to make the play. And then actually it was the third down play, it's third and four, and he's matched up against Juju, proven NFL receiver, runs a little out route. And he's so quick to close that gap. And if you look at Ben's eyes, they're trained on Juju. So they've got wide receivers. um, I think they've got trips out to the left. I can't remember exactly, but basically the play is designed to open up Juju or leave one of the deeper routes just in the hole for an easy completion. His eyes go there. And he can't make the throw because Parker has made such a quick read and closed that gap that actually, even if he did throw it, he's going to be short of stick. So you see Ben have to, well, he almost kind of spins out and bootlegs out and outruns some of our uh, defenders, which is amusing. But we get off the field. It was such a good summary of a player that I knew nothing about as of a week ago. Um, so just really, really impressive. And I think the other thing to remember, he made a play uh, down in the red zone against Caelan Balage. It's, it's a completed pass, but he's right there trying to disrupt the catch. And then afterwards, he's effectively riding Balage uh, out of bounds and contesting the ball still. So he's trying to force a turnover. He's forcing a guy out. And it's that kind of hustle that's so impressive from a guy who's giving up over 30 pounds to Juju and 50 pounds to Cannon Balage. He's like 180 pounds. And he's going in and hitting these guys. I think I can't remember if it was Harris. But I think he made a break on a throw to Najee Harris and just absolutely destroys him before he can even make the catch. Well, as he's making the catch. These are guys where they're so much bigger than him. And it gave me that slight Quandre Diggs feel. Obviously, different player, but basically undersized guy, underdrafted in their mind, chip on the shoulder, who's just going to go and light people up and play way bigger than their size. So it was so positive. Um, just briefly on Akuda. He was getting – a lot of people were going to bat for him, saying he should have had help over the top from Will Harris. So you never know with these things. It's very hard to see the coverage, especially without the All-22. The two safeties are in a a too-high shell. And you see Tracy Walker come down, basically into what's called a robber position, but come down. That normally happens if you're playing cover one or cover three. It looked like cover one to me. Now it was inside the numbers, so yes, Harris, you'd hope was over the top. But you're manned up on that guy, and I think it's the fact that he was on his heels at ten yards, still square, and Johnson just blew past him. He tried to make a bit of contact, but even that—I mean, there was what three, four yards of separation, even with a little bit of contact. So that's concerning only because it's it's what we saw last year, and everything. Well, not everything, but. There's been a lot of positivity about Akuda this year. Again, start of the season, I'm very much on the Akuda can bring it back. He's not a bust. Let's give him time. Train, and I still completely stay there. He had a few nice plays in the rest of the game, but it's definitely concerning, I'd say.
0: Just that for me is one of the positives that I'm taking from this game. Is that when Akuda got burned in games, his head would drop and he'd be at risk of doing it again. His Improvement after that rep and kind of putting it behind him showed some mental toughness that you know he says that he's worked on in the offseason. It looks like to me that it's worked that you know he has has actually gained the ability to forget what has happened and just play every rep as it comes. So I'm not going to say he's not going to get burned because corners do get burned. You know, a, a corner has a bad game if he plays 60 snaps and he gets destroyed on one. That's a bad game, but. The really bad games come when you stack those bad plays He didn't do that. So it's progression for me. It's not as quite as far as I'd like, but but it's good. AJ Parker, I'm writing his name and pen in the roster. He's making this roster. And not only that, I think I think if game three goes well, he will start in the in the slot. I just I don't see it from Nick or Robbie Coleman as Ant said. Corn Cornelder is at risk of being cut. And Mike Ford has transitioned out of the position. I don't see what his competition
1: is. Yeah. um, Just one more thing to say about Parker. I forgot to mention it. Just to put into perspective just how good a game he had. As I mentioned, he got targeted seven times. Um, They were deliberately trying to target him because obviously he's the undrafted free agent. Ben's thinking he can get some more success against him. But in those seven plays, he matched up against six different guys. He matched up against running backs, tight ends, and receivers. So this is a guy who can match up on all. And if you look, because I had a look at the PFF stats, and the next guy you know, on that list only had two different matchups. So he's worked against six different guys and had success against them all, which is really good. It just shows the versatility he has. If you can guard running backs, if you can guard tight ends, if you can guard wide receivers, the whole lot, because each brings their own unique set of challenges. they deliberately try to pick on him. And they got nothing against him. And it just makes his accomplishments all the more surprising, given he's an undrafted free agent, which is why, rightly so, he's getting an absolute ton of love. Six different guys to mark up. That's really difficult. Yeah, definitely. Right, let's
0: move on to the final position group in the safeties. Um, We had, oh God, you've got to go way down this group in the PFF craze. We come to someone, Elijah Holder, Jalen Elliott, Tracy Walker, CJ Moore, Will Harris. Let's go to Tom first this time. What did you see from the safety group? Some good, some bad, maybe bad?
2: Yeah, very little, to be honest. I mean, in fairness, I don't think there was some clear mistakes. Will Harris, for example, on the on the touchdown, which Jalen Reeves-Maben gives up to, to Pat Frymouth. So he just bites so hard on a little shimmy as if it's going to be an out route. And then he just goes deep. So there's kind of some clear mistakes. But in general, it's almost just a lack of flash, I would say, or lack of impact, um, even from a guy like Tracy Walker, who everything I've heard is he's had a pretty good camp. We're just not really saying, seeing these things translate to the field. And I don't think it's a massive panic. And safety is one of our weakest positions, at least going into the season, right? So I don't know what we're expecting, but I think not to – I don't want to turn this into too much of a Barnes love fest, but it's that kind of flash. And we saw it with um, Onzerike as well in terms of, I just want to see players popping and then start to see how we can coach them up to become better players and hopefully leading players in the league. With the safety position, there's just nothing which stands out really. And we see with Will Harris, we see a lot of the challenges he's seen we, in previous, uh, previous years with Tracy Walker, who was so good in his first year and good in his second year. We're just not seeing, not seeing him do much. To be honest, and yeah, there's just there's not that much to get excited about. I think is just my simple summary.
1: What about you, Am? Uh, I'll start with the positives. Elijah Holder, I thought did well. I uh, I remember hearing his name on a few plays, seeing a few plays he made, and I was relatively happy with what he did. I think he was probably the standout from all of them that day, which is not saying a great deal because he wasn't on the field the most of them. But out of all the safeties, he's the one who had a relatively good game. I think outside of that, there was a lot to hate. I mean, CJ Moore literally gave me a really bad twitch in my eye because of the amount of tackles he missed. Every time he kept missing tackles, I got a twitch and it was just all the time. It's some of the worst on this team. And it was it was another thing we saw, a lot of missed tackles. But he, oh my God, it was absolutely atrocious seeing some of the tackles he attempted to make. I wouldn't surprise if he's cut. Even his special teams' ability shouldn't be saving him from some of those mistakes he was making. Um, the lead safeties, as you were. I mean, I, th- I think Marlowe's stock's gone through the roof not playing in this game. Um, Harris had such a poor game. As Tom said, he bit maybe on t- both of the touchdowns. I know people were blaming him on both of the touchdowns for not providing adequate cover, you know, to uh, to his fellow defenders who gave up touchdowns. But he was just poor as usual. Walker, I'm with Tom. You know, he's having a good camp. but I ain't seeing it on the field. He bit hard on that pump fake from Ben. Now, I know it got the camera as well. It was a really good pump fake, but he bit on it. And he got himself beaten by Pat Friermuth. And, you know, no offense to Friermuth, but isn't the biggest threat of a tight end in the world ever. And he got the jump on Reeves, Mabin and Walker. And I think, you know, he has to accept responsibility for that. He can't be getting suckered in by those plays. And it's just, it's frustrating because we all know how good he is. We he's, He be really good on his day. And I'm just not seeing it on the field, but, you know, main season's coming up, so hopefully... You know, We see it during the actual season because at the minute he can make mistakes in preseason, but he's running a thin line now. Outside of that, they're all just depth guys and they're not doing much. It, it's really, really, really concerning. So good you point. Were... Sorry.
2: No, the only thing I was going to say is by transitioning to this um, two high look versus just the one high look which we mostly played with Patricia, you're doing it to protect against the pass, and you're doing it to give support to other people. The problem is all our safeties, I think with the exception of Elijah Holder, graded out negatively in coverage. And if we're not getting support from the back end and you saw it with that Deontay Johnson play, I mean, if, if Harris is playing centre field, that throw is its pretty much is, is within the numbers. It's almost on the hash. And Harris is a good athlete and he's still not getting there. I mean, yeah, there's just, there's concern.
0: Yeah, there definitely is concern. There's some for the first time ever, I am seeing positive moments for Harris. He had a pass breakup. I think it was very early on, um, where he got his hand in in for a potential reception, and it was more dropped than Harris got his arm in there. But you know, he was still in the right place at the right time. And I haven't seen that from Harris before, so I'm seeing progression there. But he really, you know, needs to needs to show it more consistently and not have the brain fart moments that he is showing. A uh, depth fan man came with a really good point, I was saying, um, if the front seven play above expectation, and you know, we actually have to have all the starters in the field to do that, the safeties are going to be less of a liability. same goes for corners as well. Um, if that pressure fails, though, we're going to expose them. And it's absolutely true. We haven't really given our, our safeties and corners much of a chance by only playing the rotation guys in these games.
1: I've- yeah, no, that is a really good point. And I think that's what we're basing the defence off this year. We've really gone all in on the defensive line, you know, paying Michael Brockers, getting in a thoroughbred nose tackle with Aline McNeil, getting in Levi, getting depth guys there. That is that is how we're going to win games this year. If that defensive line is dominant, then it should just provide enough cover for the secondary to cover up those weaknesses. But again, at the same time, there's guys in that secondary who you need to see make the leap this year. You know Orowarie, Walker. These guys have to start standing up somewhere and making plays. We can't just keep blaming the defensive line all the time either. But he does make a good point in that that's where we need to be. You know, Brockers is going to be critical. You know, it's, It would be nice to see him a little bit as well, but I can understand why they're keeping him away. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyone want to have any comment on special teams? I don't particularly have any comment on the special teams, obviously, but the fact that we recovered the the kickoff was was quite nice, but it's just a lucky play at the end of the day. It was a lovely kick, but barring that, any any other comment? Jack Fox
2: is the man. Oh, sorry, Anne, go in there.
1: I was just about to I was just about to set on building on one of my tweets. Jack Jack should call his boot Leonardo because he paints pictures with his punts. Beautiful, wonderful, <laughs> rustic pictures with these punts. They're absolutely amazing. But I mean, you know. Special teams was all right. We got the, we got the um, kickoff returned, didn't we? Not the return. We got the um, squib kick. We got that back. You know, kicking again. There were no issues with the kicking. There were no misses. So, what was there was done well. But again, probably not enough of a sample size to do much going forward. But yeah, Jack Fox is amazing. Jack Fox is amazing. Dan has a good
0: point on Twitch. He said, "I thought Veterans Rest was just silent until Dan mentioned him mid last week." There was a a press conference where he alluded to Brock saying that he potentially, you know, he should be fine for week one, which is a really weird thing to say for a guy who hasn't really practiced or played games. So it sounds like it's some sort of, he's carrying an injury, but we haven't disclosed it. Sort of chat really.
1: Yeah. And you really hope not. And I think that's another point going back to ages ago when talking about playing the starters, we are learning new schemes. For me, this is, this is why we need some of these guys in here to help learn the scheme instead of learning it against the 49ers on the field. You know, but I'm so excited to see Brockers in this line. It's going to be such a good defensive line. Yeah, I know it is.
0: Yeah, it is. Right. Our final piece is just quickly talking about the roster cut down. So I think we're still at 85, despite Evan Bone going uh, being cut from IR. So five guys need to go. Who's it going to be? Who are your kind of prime candidates to not be
1: on this roster come Tuesday night? Surratt's toast. I think. I think Kennedy's put paid to take Sage Surratt. I think
0: McKinley's put paid to Sage Surratt. Because I think McKinley is a very similar player, but McKinley has had limited reps and performed and
1: th- and yeah. Surrat just hasn't. I think Ratley and Surratt are both in big danger. And it wouldn't be surprised me if both of them went, depending on where the cuts were going outside of that, but you know, Tavai, when are they going to drop the hammer on him? Are they going to give him the third preseason game or are they just going to shock us now and be like, right, we're done? Because I think that's a huge possibility now, just making a statement almost that that sort of performance won't be tolerated anymore. So I think that could be the surprise one. But I think the receivers, I think they're the likely ones to go. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of
2: receivers we need to work through. If they're not going to get meaningful time in week three, then what's the point here? So um wouldn't surprise me if we lost some of those guys. I think Barry, you mentioned earlier, who's obviously just joined has a chance. Uh, Robert McRae so hasn't really played many meaningful snaps. Doesn't really feel like a guy with a route to make the roster. So a guy that, that could be gone, I'm just kind of scanning down the list here as I go.
1: I think he has special teams value though, doesn't he? I think that might save him this round, McRae. Darius
0: okay. Darius Jennings is the one for me that stands out in the receiver group as someone who just doesn't have a
1: shot at all. I must have... I completely forgot we got him. <laughs> that sounds really bad, but... God, yeah, I think it's going to be receiver heavy that we're going to see cut this week. Do you think Elder could get a cut this week?
2: No. Not in this round. I mean, we're only losing five people and then we've got to cut... What is it? 27. So... Um, I can't see it in this round, but yeah, I mean, his, his days seem to be numbered based on what we've seen from from Parker and um, Roby Coleman obviously coming in, I think.
1: If Parker has a solid game against the Colts, and I think you can kiss Elder goodbye in the final round of cuts, I think it just makes a lot of sense because we're going to be paying Elder a lot more, even if it's only vetmin or whatever. <laughs>
2: And that, that's awesome, to be honest. Like, Elder was a guy I was excited to bring in, but if if he's getting beaten out by an undrafted rookie, that could be spun as a bad story. The fact that we've had someone like Parker step up so quickly and show so much positive work to beat out a guy who's already performed in the league is really good news. So,
1: Exactly. You know, injured player gone, talented rookie in, you know. Again, we need to make a statement by giving these guys who are performing in preseason the slots. You know, if it makes, if it means a difficult decision, then so be it. But stick to your ethos, and that's what they're saying. You play well, you get a spot, and he's absolutely earned it.
0: Depth fan man says the long snap and play was satisfactory. I didn't actually take a good look at him, but I'll, I'll need to have a look at him uh, for my third look through that game. Um, SW Lion says I'm liking McKinley in relation to what I was saying about him versus Surratt. Ken Stouda says Perryman for the chop. I think it's too early for him to get chopped because I think they're going to give him one more week to get fit and actually do something. But I, I do yeah. think he'll get cut if he doesn't perform next week.
1: I, I don't Vets don't get cut from 85 to 80 or whatever it is, really, do they? I don't think. You might get the odd one, but I think they're given every opportunity to try and prove themselves because, after all, they are the experienced guys. So I think it is. I Tevai is the only, I suppose you'd say, vet. Not really a vet, but I think he's the only surprise you'll see this week. I think the rest are just going to be solid bubble guys who never really had a shot
0: or we haven't seen. Evan Heim is the other one who I think will definitely go. I, think just he, I don't think he suited up in the last game. And if you are a second, third string o lineman, I think you want to go, right?
1: Isn't he a centre? Uh, center, he's he's a guard me. center, I think. Or was it, Bucks? Brown? Is it Evan Brown? E- Evan Brown was the guy. Evan who's Brown's the got the he's he's got the number for backup rag now, aren't he? So yeah. So yeah. the the backup line at the moment that played the game
0: was Evan Brown, Matt Nelson, Logan Stenberg, Tommy Kramer, Dan Skipper, and then Evan Heim and Darren Paolo were the two guys oh, behind them. A... So Darren, I think Darren Paolo too would Yeah.
2: So he was a guy that I thought was like guaranteed. If you're that far down the depth chart and not playing, then what are we doing here? But I think Campbell came out today and said he was a guy that he wanted to get game time in week three. So I don't know why he didn't play, but it feels like there was more something there. Because I, like otherwise, why would you cut these other guys over someone who's not even playing when you're resting a number of people in that, in that game? So
1: I feel like Nelson and Skipper have put themselves in big trouble as well, Nelson especially. I think he's put himself in real big trouble after his performance the other day. I know we need depth at tackle, but it was a completely unacceptable performance that was, completely. You know, he didn't show anything to warrant even being a backup.
0: Oh, I think that's a bit harsh. I really think that's harsh.
1: I'd go back and watch it. Honestly, he got dominated so badly. You see a lot of plays coming through that left-hand side, and you know, he's there as depth at tackle, and I know he's done well in the past, but he's gonna need to play a more prominent role this year. There's so much scrutiny about our backup line that he didn't do himself any favors been a part of that. Because don't forget now, we've got Crosby's backup. I know, you know, Crosby's much, much better than Matt Nelson. So we've got depth there.
0: you have yeah. got skipper
1: still. You do need to keep
0: ten, though. I think nine or ten are linemen, and I think Nelson's your seven. And I don't think that the ten is, you know, anywhere close to Nelson, even with how bad that he paid last week. I
1: don't know. I think some of your guards, Kramer, Stenberg.
0: I think they make it in as o linemen. Kramer's impressed me. I hope that he makes it. I really do. All right. Any further comment, guys, before we wrap up? No. Yes. No. <laughs>
2: Only thing I'd say is, and this is more scheme related, but um, it was quite fun to see So AJ Parker, for example, came on three or four uh, nickel blitzes, just something that we didn't see anything of in the last system. So I think just over the first couple of preseason games, there's been a few, few kind of interesting stunts and a few quite interesting blitzes. I just think this defense is going to be more exciting to watch, not only from the actual player standpoint, but just from a scheme standpoint. I think it's going to be... A rough ride at times, but there's definitely even with this relatively vanilla playbook which we see in the preseason, it's there's a
1: bit more excitement. Yeah,
0: I think we saw Mike Ford come on a few blitzes in the first game from the nipple corner as well. So it's something they clearly are.
1: Yeah, and you know, we said it at the start, I'll say it again at the end. I think, you know, the mentality was the big thing we saw the other day. That team did not give up even its backups, and I think, you know, that's just so positive to see, especially after watching games like the Buccaneers and the Panthers last year where the team completely lost interest. At 23-0 down, they had no right to get that far back in the game. So, you know, that is one of the big things we need to see this year. It's not even results. It's a mentality change. Players actually fighting for those spots. And we saw that. So, yes, we lost again. But we, for me, the positives far outweighed the negatives, even despite that garbage first half. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree.
0: Right. The next game is preseason week three. Colts at the Lions on Friday night, 7pm Eastern, midnight in Britain. Um, We're not doing a watch party for it. We are going to set up our watch parties come the regular season. I know that Pride of Detroit do their own one through their Discord. I'll probably be there if you want to say hi, along with Chris Buffett. I'm sure he'll do his thing too, so that'll be cool to see you there on, on Friday night if you want to do
1: that should be with me on the twitter train i will be back there again so come and join <laughs> me folks it's a fun ride uh, our next episode
0: will be on monday august 30th we'll review week three final cut downs will be the day after that so we'll discuss that we'll talk about the news in line so the past seven days from there too um don't forget our socials find us at rural the Lines uk on youtube Twitch, facebook instagram and twitter and then the facebook group as well as um, Detroit Lions fans UK One Pride Worldwide. We're going to do a lot on there as well. Articles, all stuff about the game you can find on drawofthelionsuk.com. Subscribe and ring to 5 Stars new podcast provider. Had a few nice reviews on Apple Podcasts recently. Really appreciate that. Um, boys, it's been great. Tom, thank you for joining us on short notice. And what do you want to say, man?
1: Sorry, I was just about to say before we go, our next episode is actually going to be on Wednesday. So This week, we are starting the Rural Lions college show. Me and Ryan are going to be heading that. So this week, basically, we're just going to be giving a rundown mainly to our listeners here in the UK, a little bit more about the college game, the divisional breakups, all that need-to-know stuff. But in future weeks going forward, we're going to be keeping a very close eye on the college game, players who might be coming through at positions of need for the Lions, etc. So, you know... I think, you know, come and join us for that. It's going to be good fun. It's our first episode this week. We'll be shooting most Wednesdays, maybe a day or two in between if we have to mix the schedule up a bit. But that does start this week. So, yeah, do come and join us for all your college takes.
0: I, I'm going to have to definitely join for that because I need to learn my difference between my FPS and my FCS. So, you know, that's going to be good. I can't wait for that. Debt Fan Man says, when does Nay of the Pistons UK start? Ah, uh, That's... a uh, sometime in the future uh, <laughs> that's coming right um yes don't forget to follow us on our socials thank you so much to everyone who's been commenting and interacting with us on youtube and twitch if you're listening on the on the audio pods, we haven't forgot you guys thank you so much if you want to get in contact with us our, our email address is on our youtube page if you've got any suggestions or anything like that be great to hear from you just for me to thank tom for coming on on such short notice and hopefully he'll be coming on a few more times throughout the season and See you on Wednesday, buddy. I'm Matthew Turner. This has been the Rural Lions UK podcast. Let's go, Lions. One pride.
1: One pride. One pride.